The uncertainty of getting a home loan made Paul irritable. Then he went to Washington Mutual. Thanks to their flexible lending rules, Paul got a quick approval. Now he's always in a great mood. Welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson, and I love this song. And I'm Laura Conaway. I think I used to roller disco to an earlier version of it. It's Friday, October 24th. It's about 4.18 p.m. here in New York. And we have a great show today. Laura and I are really excited to air the first Economist Woo! House Call. Yes. First, we're going to start with the news. Adam, how about those Planet Money indicators? You know, we're going to do something a little different uh, today. For the past week or so, we've been looking at the interbank loan world for a sense of how things are going. Today, we're going to go to a different place. Normally, uh, we avoid the stock market, but today we're going to a guy who watches the stock market because it seems like the story of the last few days is that we're moving from a credit crisis to a broader recession, which mm. means the stocks become more relevant. Vinny Catalano is president and chief investment strategist for Blue Marble Research. I asked him how he sees the financial situation right now today. I think that investors, equity investors specifically, are starting to get their arms around the credit crisis aspect of all of this. And there's a degree of familiarity with the dangers that are there, and I believe also uh, some degree of confidence that all of the governments working together with all the bazookas pointing in, pointing in one direction uh, will eventually have their desired effect as far as the flow of credit is concerned. Still more work to go, still more to do in that regard, but progress is being made. The TED spread, LIBOR minus the three-month Treasury rate, has come down considerably. And that's something we've been reporting, like, I feel like for the entire life of Planet Money, we've been talking about how high the TED spread is, up near 5. Sure. And it, it did go up a tiny bit today, around 5%, but not terrible. I mean, it's still below 3, which I know a few years ago would have been a shockingly high amount, but these days is is not unreasonable. I'm actually quickly hurrying to check its value right now. Um so today, right now, it's at two point seven zero. That's up from yesterday. Up a bit from yesterday, yeah. yeah, where it was two point seven six, but right. way down from the four point something, and you right. know that it's been at. Right. The, the patient is is bleeding, but now only through the gauze, <laughs> and we do have the tourniquet on, and uh, and the bleeding is slowing, and gradually uh, it should be headed in the direction of stopping, which would be. Uh, you know, below that one percent level, which was the pre-crisis level, and so now we'll, the, we'll get there. But now the patient's focusing on the fact that his wife wants to leave him, and <laughs> right. he, You're right, exactly, sort of like the uh, the congressman in Florida, right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Laura, we didn't even get into your question for Vinny yet. You had a very specific thing you wanted to talk to him about. Yeah, I've been looking at headlines and blogging headlines all day about the stock markets in various countries around the world having trouble, Russia, Korea, Japan. And people have started talking about these stock triggers, these so-called circuit breakers. And one, I wonder to, from him what it means when they say they've stopped the stock futures. 
Right. Well, let's talk about the U.S. Out of the 1987 crash, the October of 87 crash, the uh, the exchanges uh, in concert with the SEC created circuit breakers to prevent sell-offs from feeding upon themselves and a, a massive widespread, widespread panic take place all in one day. The October crash of 1987 saw the markets drop 25% in one day uh, at its worst point for the day, and that's what was created to prevent that kind of thing from happening again. Since 1987, since they've instituted this, only once have the circuit breakers kicked in, in terms of trading action, that is, during the day, and that was back in 1997 with the Asian crisis and the Russian crisis and all of that stuff. So is the uh, idea, Vinny, that there's a formula and it says if the yeah. stock market falls a certain number of points within a certain number of time frame, certain amount mm-hmm. of time frame, then... Well, it's actually all within one day. If it falls a certain amount, like, for example, today, and they had certain cutoff points during the day and time, if the Dow dropped by up to 1,100 points today, then the market was then going to stop trading for, I believe, an hour or two hours, something like that. I mean, it was one hour to sort of let everybody kind of cool down and let the government uh, and the banks and the broker-dealers start to... Uh, and, and the specialist firms and the market makers all try to, you know, get their collective heads together to see where things stood rather than this turning out to be like a 1987-style crash. Well, what do they hope will happen during the cool-down period? Because if I'm an investor and I want to take my money out, mm-hmm. but one of these stock triggers happens and all of a sudden I can't take my money out, I'm thinking I'm going to be first in line when they start trading again. Well, you can place your order to uh, for the sale, and a mutual fund firm will have to honor that. It's just that during the day, that mutual fund manager cannot at that moment sell your positions. And I, I want to wrap up. We don't we we encourage our listeners not to pay too much attention to the Dow moves on any given day. Right. Uh, my sense is that it's a lot more noise and than signal. A lot more, you know. Yes, I would agree. Yes. Uh, but this is quite a week, and. <clears throat> and it's been quite a quite a few weeks for the stock market. Mm-hmm. I, are you where where are you? I mean, are you are, can we make sense of what's been happening? Are we seeing just crazy panic? Are we seeing just a reasonable revaluing mm-hmm. of all global corporate assets to a lower level? It, it's a bit of all of that. Let, let me let me pass along one piece of information that I think everybody could benefit from. One of the major driving factors in pushing down equity values right now, stock prices. You mean prices, stock prices. Right, yeah. exactly. Stock prices is the fact that there are redemptions at both mutual funds and hedge funds, managed money. Redemptions, by, you just mean I call up and say right. to the mutual fund, I'm freaking out, get me out of the stock market. Exactly. Or that, I, I, I mean, redemptions happen for a whole range of reasons. Lately, they've been happening more for that reason than anything else. Well, one of the things that typically happens in the case of your average investor who is usually not in a hedge fund but is in a mutual fund, okay, what they tend to do is they, if they want to sell, they'll call up the mutual fund or organization or do it electronically on the Internet put in their order to liquidate a certain portion or all of their shares in a, in a given fund, and then the mutual fund manager, when he or she gets that, infor- that order, will liquidate a portion of the portfolio. But in normal times, what happens is that that mutual fund manager may not want to disrupt the holdings of what they have. 
Instead, what they do is they'll tap into lines of credit to meet that redemption need. But you're going to tell me we're in a credit crisis, so it's not so easy to get credit. That's correct. Because of the credit crisis, getting credit has become very, very difficult, even for mutual funds. And therefore, instead of being able to tap the lines of credit to pay Adam his money, they are forced to liquidate the positions that day because they've got to give Adam his money on settlement date, which is, you know, several days later. And that's precipitating this across-the-board blanket dumping almost everything because that fund manager wants to keep the portfolio balanced. So he or she is going to sell the, the good with the bad. And thank you to Vinny Catalano, President and Chief Investment Strategist at Blue Marble Research. Uh, you know, Laura, we... Uh we also heard from our friend John Macy, deputy dean of Yale Law School and yep. a securities law guy. Uh, he said that unlike Vinny, it's a pretty short email. It says, I oppose circuit breakers. I think they transfer wealth from investors to market pros. I didn't get a chance to call him before we had to do the podcast, but I want to get him on because I'd like to hear a lot more yeah, what's about mean, that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, circuit breakers, all they do, as I understand it, if, is if stock prices fall too fast, these prevent people from selling and buying stocks for a little while to calm things down. So I don't quite understand why they transfer wealth from investors to market price. Yeah, we should get him in. So this morning, speaking of really important work, we kicked off our Economist House Call series with the Planet Money friend Simon Johnson. Johnson is former IMF chief economist. We talked to a lot of former IMF chief economists, They're actually. always great. They're great. Simon Johnson is a current MIT professor And he's the helpful guide of another great site about sorting out this financial crisis. It's called Baseline Scenario. I'll link to it on the blog today. Simon Johnson provided really a lot of great insight, and we're looking forward to putting him in touch with more of you out there. Yeah, I mean, we talked to, what, 11, 12 people today. Yeah, it was fast. Every conversation was great, and Simon, I just feel like I understand the world more richly because these, well, you'll see in a second, but these were these were conversations about the each individual person's economic concerns and their life. But with each of them, I learned a lot about how the global economy works, what the nature of this crisis is. We're starting with Sophia Suhu. She's an architecture intern. She's studying to to finish her licensing exams uh, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, she got some bad news quite recently. I got laid off last night. but um, Last night? Yesterday, yes. What happened? Uh, they brought the – we have three offices, so they brought um, all of us into the lunchroom and had the uh, really fancy uh, um, web television to have the other two offices online with us. And they said, we're really sorry, but we have to cut 10%. And we'll be doing it uh, over the course of today and tomorrow. And I sat there <laughs> waiting for the tap of my shoulder and my phone rang, and I knew that I was part of that 10%. So, Wow. And was this expected or totally out of the blue? Well, no. I, I, it, it was out of both. Um, it was out of the blue because there was no warning like today would be the day or this would be the week. But at the same time, I wasn't sure how we were um, keeping all these people on with everything that's going on. I mean, firms in Portland are art, architecture and design firms are laying people off all over Portland. So we had, you know, 
we laid off four people back in March, and we hadn't had any layoffs since. So I wasn't, you know, I was shocked, surprised, impressed, and then also at the same time mortified because I knew it was coming, just not sure when. (laughs) Wow. How are you feeling today? I feel great, actually. (laughs) I I almost don't want to say that too loud because, you know, it. It's expected, you know. So you knew it was coming, out. and it's huh? you knew it was coming. So it's almost you don't have to worry about when it's coming anymore. Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's, unfortunately it's this it's the way a lot of the firms in Portland run. You know, people who've been here for a while talk about every time there's a little bit of a slowdown, even a a hint of a slowdown, it's like the firm's opportunities to cut people off. Uh, so, uh, did what did you uh, hope to get from the Economist house call? Did you want to talk about your immediate concerns or your long-term concerns, a little of both? Well, I guess, I mean, you know, on Tuesday, I guess I wanted to just talk about, like, long-term, because I didn't think I would not have a job come Friday. But um, today, I guess my question is, you know, I had anticipated moving to New York, um, in the next, you know, in 2009 to be with my partner. And at this point, I'm I'm kind of debating if I should do that now, if I should stay in Portland, if I should look for a job. Like, I mean, there's so many, like, what do I do? Simon, what does she do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is a tough one. Um, could you just uh, tell me, Sophia, this, uh, being an architecture intern, how how long until you become a fully qualified architect on, on that trajectory? Well, um, this is something I can do, you know, on my own. I don't have to. I I don't need to work at a firm uh, at this point, and I plan on getting it done in the next six months. I mean, I have to pass a series of exams, and I'm pretty confident. Um, that I can do it at the you know first shot, and especially now that I technically have all the time in the world to study, I'm even more confident <laughs> that I'll get it done. So, so I, yeah, I anticipate getting it done. And do um, you have the money? Do you need a job right away, or can you focus on studying? Um, it, that's a delicate balance. I have a uh, a roommate moving in November first. Something. This is something I set up a month ago in anticipation of like, you know, getting either a pay cut or layoffs. So, assuming that she moves in and stays and all is well, I can definitely afford to stay in my house. If she doesn't move in or if I don't get a roommate, um, my unemployment will cover the house and that's it. It means no bills, no food, no nothing else. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I could afford to you know to kind of coast for six months or for a while. Um, in terms of paying for the exams, I'll just have to save up the money because um, the the whole deal will be I think twelve to fourteen hundred dollars. So Simon, I guess w- one of the questions here is: at a time like this, does it make sense to just focus on the current crisis and get a job, or does it? Makes sense, even when there's a crisis all around you, to focus on that long-term dream of uh, of, an, of a healthier economy. Well, I think Sophia's got uh, really the right approach and a great attitude. I have to say, 
Um, I, I've been laid off myself. I didn't feel too good about it in the in the past. Um, so I think it, arranging for a roommate to come in, uh, setting up a month ago was was brilliant. Make sure you 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 take her coffee on a regular basis to to stay on good terms with her. Make sure she does show up and pay, um, and and focus on getting through the exams. I mean, I think once you've, I mean, I, I don't know architecture obviously, but I, I imagine that once you've got the professional qualification fully under your belt, you become a lot more a lot more mobile. I didn't. Um, I'm, I'm not going to cast any aspersions on on Portland, Oregon myself, but I was disappointed to hear that your your assessment that the architecture and design firms all always lay people off whenever there's a hint of trouble. I think you you deserve a lot better than that, uh, Sophia, uh, both near term and, 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 and down the road. And I'm sure there are going to be places in, in, in the U.S. That, that are going to be, you know, come through this quicker and stronger than, than, than other places. New York would be one of one of my bets. It's a city that obviously remakes itself uh, with, with great regularity. So it sounds to me like you, your, your trajectory is very good and, and your attitude is, is, is amazing and, and, and commendable. In order for architecture to come back, people have to start building things, right, Simon? Uh, that is my understanding of how architecture works also. Uh, you could renovate things. Uh, that's, there's always a lot of that. And I, I think, though, uh, you're putting your finger on a key point, which is we think there might be even more of a slowdown to come in construction. Commercial real estate, for example, is just starting to, to show to show some problems. Um, but remember, there wasn't a, an enormous amount of overbuilding in this country. It was much more a run-up in, in, in prices. And if you look at how much stock there is in terms of housing out there, uh, sort of months of unsold inventory, if you like, it, it's considered. Considerable. I mean, some people would claim it's it's a year. Uh, all that depends on on the the economic um, on the economic conditions and incomes and so on. But it's not like uh, you know you saw in Japan or some other places uh, where there was just uh, when they had their big real estate booms, there was just colossal overbuilding and it took many many years to work off that that excess. So I do think that the the, the people will continue to build things. I think the pace will slow down a bit, uh, and I think you know we should all brace ourselves uh, for for that slowdown. But I think we're looking at a, at a two to three year um, pretty serious setback for the for the U.S. economy. Not something, not something worse than that. And, and I think, you know, as people start to see the recovery, they'll start to make investments. And a lot of those investments will involve uh, architects. All right, Sophia, thank you very much. And study thank hard you. for your exams. Let's, let's all root for your roommate to, you know, to come on through. And if I could throw one, one, <laughs> I, one okay. last positive note uh, in, uh, a, lot of, a number of people have mentioned to me that they're people who have construction projects, they're very happy their contractors turn up on time and work really hard at the moment. So there's an incentive for a lot of people to, to do those rehab projects right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia, for sharing your story. Uh, we hope everything works out. I think they will. I mean, she's the kind of person you you have good feelings about. Keep sending us your stories, and maybe you'll be the one of the people that we turn to next, the next time we have an Economist house call. And that's a week for Planet Money. Keep an eye on the world with us on our blog. We're at npr.org slash money, blogging all the time, especially Adam. I'm Laura Conaway. And I am Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.